Good morning, entrepreneurs. You're tuned in to Nine Corporate Network. This is Entrepreneurs. Welcome, Dustin. How are you doing this morning? Welcome, Chaz. I'm doing good. You? Uh, you know, I think uh, this is going to be uh, an interesting episode. We got a lot of really cool stories for you guys. For those of you that haven't tuned in before, welcome. Whether you're listening to us on the podcast, anywhere you can find it, Entrepreneurs or on YouTube, Facebook, wherever you are in the world. We appreciate you being here. And uh, yeah, it's not free to listen. I'm sorry. You don't have to get your credit card out. You just got to tell another business owner, an entrepreneur about us. Keep them woke. This is where we deliver unbiased, unfiltered, real, raw, small business news. We debate six stories for three minutes each. Dustin, anything else you want to mention before we dive right in? I don't know if there's anything else I can really add. Told them where we're at. What to expect? I think let's just dive in. All right, sounds good. Well, getting into our first story, Quibi will shut down on or around December 1st. Quibi is known for their short, hard-hitting dramas and short films. Uh, everything is 10 to 15 minutes long. Um, and uh, yeah, they, they had some pretty big budgets poured into this, Dustin. Um, does them shutting down show that there's no more room in the entertainment technology sector or there are already too many streaming platforms out there? No, I think it's just uh, wrong timing for them. I think uh, they, they, they were on the right track. I think they had an awesome model. I think, uh, you know, people on the go, if I'm in between meetings and I have to take a bus or the light rail or whatever, I can watch a quick episode, 10 to 15 minutes. Um, people's attention spans are getting shorter and shorter. I mean, everyone can say that. I mean, it's uh, with social media and everything. It's uh, just the timing is, wasn't there with everyone, you know, coronavirus coming in, people being locked down. It's people want longer episodes that are OK with longer shows. And there was just not not much demand. But, you know. I think there, there's a lot of overlap between the Amazons and Netflix and all that. They have the same type of stuff where Quibi, huge differentiators, and it was shorter episodes, and uh, they actually used Hollywood actors and actresses. So I, I think it was just wrong timing. You know, I and they put a lot of money into it, but I mean, I'm looking at the numbers here on streaming platforms, and you got Netflix almost has 200 million users. You got Disney Plus with over 60 million. You got Hulu with 25 million. got HBO with... Uh, about 5 million, 4 million of them. Um, and then you got to compete with Facebook and YouTube as well. Uh, and so, you know, I think that there is, and then cable, obviously. I mean, there's so many different ways to consume content, especially just online. And so I, I wonder if there is a clear path here. Because, I mean, you know, you're also seeing a lot of companies like Peacock. I don't know if you've seen Peacock come out and offer their streaming service completely free. And so, I think that it's going to be a race to the bottom here um, in terms of, you know, who can offer the best service. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Peacock, but that's just showing what's on normal TV. It's just you're going to get more ads and that's why it's free. You, know, you got the Facebook. It's, uh, you know, they have good content, uh, user generated content, but there aren't Hollywood actors and actresses. There aren't, you know, huge budget story writers and, and working on scripts. I, I really think that this was a huge opportunity, but just timing and, and when it came out was just was just horrible. I yeah. mean, it's uh, uh, again, there I do agree that there's a growing number of platforms and it's getting tough to choose. But in terms of, of how they're all different, I think this platform had the biggest differ differentiator uh, between them all. Because like I said, the, the Hulus, the Netflix and all that, they stream all yeah. the same content. There, there isn't a whole lot of well, think, unique content. Think about the fact, that, I mean, I'm looking at like 
Netflix made $20 billion last year. The licensing agreements for the big shows, Friends, Steinfeld, like these huge shows are hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars for the agreements that they're making. So, you know, you got to come correct with your funding. And, you know, I think it's, it's too high of a barrier to entry now. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, getting to our next story, Uber and Lyft lose appeal uh, in court. Um, and this is following a story that we reported on uh, a few times now about 1099 workers wanting to become actual employees. Uh, it is on the floor in uh, California, uh, Prop two, uh, 22. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, Dustin, are gig workers employees or not? It seems that the court has ruled that they have to be employees now, but um, yeah, well, what is this going to do yeah. for for the gig economy? Yeah, I mean, by by law, there are no more gig economy workers when it comes to Lyft and Uber. I mean, it's you know if they just pass this law and everyone that works for them is now an employee, kind of you give up that that gig worker uh, title for the most part. I mean, the definition no longer stands. Um, you know, it'd be interesting to see how this all plays out because you know they've done a good job at at, at disrupting an industry and getting rid of the taxi industry. But with this, it's going to increase their costs and they're going to have to increase fares, which then it, it kind of brings back taxis and, and right. all that a little bit more. And so and there's going to be a big mix up when in this entire industry. And, and I, I don't know if they can last, but I mean, um, yeah, it is going to yeah. be a big expense. I mean, uh, you, you mentioned in the last article, you know, how much they spent lobbying. I wonder, you know, if they kind of regret spending all that money as what, hundreds of millions of dollars? They they had about 100 million, 150 million that they were going to be using. And, and the story broke on August 10th that um, they were going to have to consider these people employees and they've appealed it. And now I think it's big that they got the appeal process done before the election. And so uh, I think that I'm sure they were banking on trying to at least have it dangle through the next uh, election and uh, not have to worry about getting it on a ballot. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting. And I look at this and go gig economy workers. It, it's like saying a square is a circle, Dustin, like gig economy versus employees. Like you can't be both a gig economy worker cannot be considered an employee. You're no longer a gig economy worker. It's like you give up that freedom of being a gig economy worker by getting a W-4. And so um, I think that the way that we're looking at this is all wrong. Like you can be a gig economy worker. That's not bad, but it's just different than being a W-4. Yeah. I mean, it comes down to taxes and how they can control your day. And I think it's just like every other business, you know, you know, working in the agency world, you have employees that are there that are W-4. You have other contractors that come in and, and work whatever hours they want, as long as they get the work done. And, and, there's a separation between the two. I don't understand why there can't be a separation between these companies. I don't right. understand why it has to be employee or gig economy worker and why it can't be both depending on how, how the employer and employee or, or a contractor want to structure that, that relationship, whether yeah. it is, you know, Lyft says you gotta, you gotta drive during these hours, nine to five or 12 to whatever those hours are, you're an employee. If you want to work your cake needed exactly. Too. And I, I don't, I, I just don't understand why there isn't that, that separation here, depending on how the employee wants to move forward, whether they do well, want to thing. I mean, it's hard. You want to sympathize with these people because it is a hard time, but you know, it's, it, it, yeah. it, it's an oxymoron, right? Like there, you can't, can't <laughs> be both. Um, well, getting into our next story, uh, bringing it back to Arizona here. Um, Arizona gains more jobs last month. But unemployment rate still rises. Uh, unemployment rate is up from 5.9 to 6.7 percent um, in September, and uh, 30,200 more jobs were created last month as well, Dustin. So, 
how does this work? How can we go up in unemployment while also going up in um, jobs that are being brought to Arizona? Um, what do you I mean, think? It's a, it's a, it's a yeah, correlation between the two. And just one, I mean, jobs are being created, jobs are being fulfilled because we have more people coming. It's just there's more people coming than jobs can be created. I think there's going to be a lag. I mean, as more people come, it's going to take a month or two for demand to go up in certain industries or whatever it may be. And then the hiring process starts and the jobs will be created. Um, I mean, it's, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to hire someone because there's so much, you know, population being moved here. It's once that population starts buying from you. And so I think it's only a matter of time before that unemployment uh, starts going down, but it's, it's simply the fact that, yeah, jobs are being created um, jobs are, are happening, but we have more people moving here than yeah. the rate of jobs being, being, uh, well, uh, and you wonder is, are the jobs being created like by Arizona for employing more people or are the jobs being created by businesses coming here and then hiring out their employees to also come here. And so, I mean, I don't think there's a whole lot of people that are moving to Arizona and then going and collecting unemployment. I feel like the people that are moving here are coming here with a job. And so, you know, you kind of wonder what is the catalyst behind this? Um, and I think it's easy to kind of just take it at face value and go, oh, this is all coming from Arizona. And whether or not the legislation or the income levels or whatever uh, are the reason why people are coming here. I mean, again, thinking about the election coming up, uh, going from the 11th le least taxed uh, state to the 10th highest tax state overnight, I think is going to be uh, interesting. And we'll see how many more people still are going to move here. Yeah. I mean, you bring up a good point that if jobs are, if companies are coming here, the, then people that are moving here have jobs. But I will say that it's probably families that are moving here and whether the husband or the wife or the, the mom or dad or whatever it is, has that job that the spouse might not have a job and they're looking and right. now they're, they're already unemployed. And so that's going to have a factor on the unemployment number. So yeah. yeah, granted people are coming here, that job, and, and I don't even know if that's considered a hire as well. I mean, if you're going from California over to Arizona, that's not really in the hiring numbers. So we might have more more new jobs created than the numbers actually reflect yeah. because these are just jobs that were fulfilled that were actually being advertised where if I yeah. get transferred, I, that's not going to be reflected, we, but it is going to impact the unemployment number because my yeah. wife doesn't have a job. We hit the other side of the coin too is that, you know, how many jobs were lost that we're just trying to recover still, I mean, yeah. from COVID. So it's like, you know, maybe we're getting more jobs, but I'm sure we're still trying to pull ourselves out of a trench a little bit. <laughs> yep. Well, before we get into our next story, I want to mention that we are powered by State 48. They got the sauce, you know. Um, I think that uh, they do a great job with partnerships. They do a great job with just spreading awareness uh, for these uh, 501c3, these nonprofit organizations, especially, um, you know, really just leading the way uh, in terms of small business and how it should be done, right? Yep, absolutely. And they are homegrown here in Arizona. And I'm an Arizona native, so I, I have a huge appreciation for the state. And that's what they're all about. Not only uh, the, the state in general, the people of the state and all the businesses within the state. And so they're just doing a lot of, a lot of good stuff. Uh, say it again for the state. Uh, state 48, <laughs> check them out. State48.com. Uh, nice, nice. <laughs> so going into our uh, next story. So uh, Facebook launches season of support for small businesses uh, during the holiday shopping rush. Uh, in order to help businesses, Facebook is offering tons of support and training, uh, which include a free personalized marketing plan for your business, tips on boosting posts, uh, free video training, prom promotional assistance, and a toolkit uh, to help drive up holiday sales. 
Um, studies have shown that social media is the top channel where attention is currently at. Um, overall, um, you know, social media users will grow by 257 million by uh, 2023. So there's still tons of tons of growth. A lot. Uh, Deloitte, they say that 40% of customers actually use social media to review and see what other people are commenting on um, for that brand before actually purchasing. And so, you know, this, this is all great. I mean, it, they're helping businesses, but I mean, you know, I've worked with Facebook support, which is pretty much nothing. Why it, why aren't they doing this more, you know, throughout the year? It is great. But I mean, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, well, first off, we got to kind of read between the lines here and think about, okay, this isn't out of the goodness of their heart as much mm -hmm. as it's out of the fact that if you train people to use your platform more effectively, then they will spend more money because they're getting better results. And so I think that's where they're looking for that win-win where it's not like, hey, we're just going to be so gracious and explain this to you. It's, you know, be better so that we can take more of your money. And so, <laughs> uh, you know, but you think about it, there's YouTube videos on all the stuff already. And it's not like I would I would be shocked if this had any human interaction as a component of this. I mean, we're talking here's some here's some videos we made instead of YouTube videos that you can watch. But I mean, again, by the time that you bring yourself up to speed, by the time if you're an amateur and trying to learn how to do this for the first time, there's a lot of experimentation that goes into it. There's a lot of money that you're probably going to lose trying to figure out how to do it right and how it works for your business. And so, you know, I wonder if you're starting at the end of October and you're wanting to capitalize on the next three weeks of advertising. Of course, Facebook wants you to spend more, but does that mean you're going to be more successful? I, I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, you bring up a good point, and this is the thing that's always surprised me. I mean, Google, so started in digital marketing, is educating business owners or new people that started AdWords at the time on how to use the platform, how to how to better performance, and Facebook has nothing like yeah. that. And it's you know, I wonder if if they're starting to feel the pressure from Walmart, Amazon, and some of these other online or other retailers that are um, growing online, and uh, you know taking those advertising dollars because you're, you're seeing more budget shifts going from Facebook over to Amazon. And so, right. yeah, I think it is, uh, I think it might be a move too late. And I, again, I'm surprised that they haven't done this sooner. I mean, going back to support, I've talked to so many different business owners and people in marketing that it's just like so frustrating. We're spending hundreds of thousand dollars a month and we, we don't have a human being to actually talk to. Yeah. And so, I mean, they've, they've ridden a, a good wave for a while, but you're seeing more channels pop up, better ways to target. And so, yeah, you know, wonder if they're doing a little, little too much too late. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So going into our next story, so most businesses offering more payment options saw sales increase during the pandemic. Uh, so a company called PaySafe polled uh, businesses to see who offered flexible payment options. Um, Eighty percent of those people polled uh, small, medium-sized businesses uh, who chose to diversify their online or improve their their card presence did see increased uh, sales overall. Uh, during the pandemic, 88% uh, made at least one change to their checkout during the pandemic, and 39% uh, reported the volume of business increased. Those who saw success are going to continue to innovate their offerings and how they, uh, you know, take payments from their customers. And really, it's it's you know you you can use your credit card at a, at a uh, you know retailer. It's going to charge you all there. They're kind of just coming in and saying, hey, instead of doing that, you could set up to where it's three payments and you still get to take the product today. And, yeah. you know, they're kind of it's almost like layaway, but uh, just more glorified. And they're trying yeah. to change the models. And so, you know, businesses are seeing growth. Is this good or is this going to hurt the overall economy? Because now it's going to stretch people too thin. Yeah. And is this creating liabilities for the businesses? You know, cash flow is such a huge thing. Yeah, no, it's creating liabilities for the businesses and the consumers. I mean, we're going to kick back our 
paying our mortgage. We're going to kick back paying our Christmas presents. We're going to kick back paying our groceries next. I mean, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you can only have this tidal wave get so big before it breaks. And so um, I think that, uh, you know, it's, it's tricky, right? You want to be able to give people options and have the choice to make responsible decisions or make decisions that are best for them. And so you can't take that away from them. I think it's great to customize, but yeah, to write it off as we're driving more sales when you're making a quarter of the revenue up front, it, you point to cash flow. Not everybody is Walmart. Not everybody is Google. Not everybody is sitting on a hundred million plus cash reserves. And so I think, you know, thinking about that, it's hard, to, it's hard to feel great as a small business owner to, you know, start giving out loans. Yeah, no, and you bring up a good point. I mean, how many people might be banking on, oh, next round of stimulus is coming and right. going to make these purchases and it's still not here, but now it's due. I can't pay, I can't pay the bill. And now the retailer is out that, that money. But I think, yeah. you know, I, I do appreciate that, you know, trying to create flexibility and, and, uh, you know, more uh, offerings for the consumer. That's right. that's what always wins. And I think it comes down to being a smart business owner and knowing how much can you loan out before it's going to impact your business. And right. But I mean, that's all new waters for small businesses. They've never had to really think through that. But I mean, it'll be interesting to see because it's, uh, yeah, I mean, to your point, uh, forbearance is coming yeah. up that you have to pay. I mean, there might see a huge tidal wave of- uh, There's enough coffee shops out here that charge like six bucks for a cup of coffee. It's like, I, I'll pay $2 now and we'll worry about the other $4 later. <laughs> I mean, like that seems to be like, if you're talking small business, like, yeah. I mean, I know that small businesses can be up to like 200 employees or something, but still like, uh, you know, I, I, I wonder, I wonder what industries this is doing well in. Uh, I'm sure e-commerce and places like that, this could be interesting, but you know, not, not for everybody. Yep. So going on to our final story. So a salon here locally, ROLFS Global, um, is going to partner with ASU and MCC to launch the first higher education pathway for beauty pros. Um, like I said, it is a local salon and they want to partner with the local colleges to create an associate's degree and a bachelor's degree. Um, one from uh, MCC and one from ASU. The courses will teach students skills in finance, marketing, leadership, ethics, communications, and evidence-based decision-making, data-driven decisions. Um, they have created expedited tracks, so you can get your associates in a year, you can get your bachelors in two. Uh, the goal would be to uh, see success here locally in Arizona and then roll this out nationally. And to confirm, I mean, there, there's a lot of places where you can get your uh, uh, esthetician license or you get your license, this would be after that. Uh, once you get that, you would have to go here. And it sounds more like they're teaching business and business leadership specifically right. in the, the beauty industry. So, you know, is this going to help the overall industry or is this more of a, a money play? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think it, it's always great to be the first one to do it. Right. So that, that's a, that's a plus no matter what. Uh, you know, I, I think that when you're, when you're getting into the workforce, especially in an industry like this, you can't just read it off of a sheet of paper and know what it's like. I think that going to the school of hard knocks to an extent is, you know, especially in this kind of financial climate, I think that, uh, you know, it could be a better path for some people, you know, obviously like if they're trying to train you into running your own salon, then you're not going to really get much value out of walking around saying, Hey, I've got this college degree. Like <laughs> it's still on you now. And now you have $40,000 of loans to pay. So it's like, I think that, you know, thinking about how this works as it relates to you is, is important. I mean, I'm sure there's some like really high end beauty salons or um, this isn't my field, Dustin, but um, I'm sure there's places where maybe that would be valuable to where you could work with celebrities or whatever it is. So 
I mean, you know, I think you got to choose a pathway here, but I'm always uh, on the team of, you know, you're only going to learn by doing. Yeah. I mean, I'm a huge believer of that. The thing that, that I do like here is, I mean, even though you might not be taught how to run a business, but I mean, you can get taught the theory, but the actual practical part in doing it is different, but you know, going to, to school and getting the education there, I mean, there's a huge opportunity for networking. And I think that's where there might be some value. Granted, I mean, bring up a good point. This is after you get your license, which 15, 20 grand in and of itself, this would probably be another what, 20, 30, 40 grand. So, I mean, to even start your business, you're already in the whole $100,000, but you know, you can create some uh, awesome networking opportunities yeah. that you can uh, leverage yeah. as you grow, which will be way more ROI positive than that hundred thousand or whatever yeah, exactly. it was. Exactly. So. Say you are you willing to bet that you're going to make more than a hundred thousand in your career yeah. in this field? And you know, maybe it does take a couple years to dig yourself out. But again, all comes down to where where are you trying to go? What is the outcome you're looking for? But yeah, no, it's cool that they're the first to do it, and I'm sure that they won't be the last. You know. Um, well, you know, looking back at the stories, this stuff's very interesting today. I've been following the Uber and Lyft and gig economy case very intently. Uh, I think that it's setting a huge precedent, right? There's so many other businesses that are working in the similar type of capacity with gig workers. And so, you know, I think that it's going to be a slippery slope and it's going to be a snowball effect that next DoorDash and next after that is Instacart and these other companies are going to be like, Hey, what about us? Like they're getting health benefits and we're not. So, uh, I think they, this won't be the, the last time that we, uh, are debating, you know, uh, a technology company having to make this move. Yeah. No, my, my favorite is Arizona gains jobs, but unemployment goes up. It's a weird correlation, but you know, I think that unemployment number is going to go yeah. down as, as more people move here, it's going to create more jobs. It's just kind of a, a ripple effect. It'll just take some Over time. Over 30,000 jobs in a month. A lot. I mean, yeah, that seems like a pretty good amount. I mean, we have, what, 7 million people in Arizona. Yeah. 30,000 is pretty decent amount yeah, compared yeah. to the total population for one month. So, yep. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you guys for tuning in today. Uh, again, you've been watching the Non-Corporate Network, the worldwide leader in entrepreneurship. This has been Entrepreneurs. Again, it's not free. We got to tax you. You got to tell an entrepreneur about us. You got to tell somebody that's a business owner about us. We want to keep you woke with real, uh, authentic news. We're not on some political agenda. Um, but yeah, Dustin, anything you want to mention before no. we dive out of here? Appreciate you guys tuning in. Make it a good weekend, and uh, we'll talk next week. See ya.